Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I'm getting a little older. I'm getting a little older, and my bathroom visits are becoming a little more frequent. If you're, if you're, you can't get this anywhere else, I'm telling you. If you're an older man, you know what I'm talking about, right? Who's going to admit it that they're an older man? Yeah, so they are a little more frequent than they used to be. And uh, so the other day, I kind of got in a, in a state of panic. I was, I was looking for you know, a restroom, and uh, I couldn't find one. I finally found one. And wouldn't you know it, there was a sign on the door that said, y'all went to the same bathroom. It was awful. I mean, it was a little irritating to say the least. And I, I was thinking, I got to go now. I don't have time, you know, to look for another restroom. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you're, you're riding down maybe the highway, you're, maybe you're on 85, maybe you're headed somewhere, and, uh, and you get really thirsty. I mean, like you're just, you know, you can, a cotton ball is just in the back of your throat, and you're thinking, I've got to have something to drink. And you see the sign that says rest area, and you think, hallelujah, two miles ahead. I've, I've, you know, I found the answer to my thirsting issues. And so you pull in, and there's that one drink machine, and there's a sign on that drink machine that says, yeah, it's awful. Or maybe, maybe sometime this winter, you know, maybe we had the first really cold day. And um, you got in your car, and there was that little light thing that goes off, indicating that you have low air pressure, right? And then you had to hunt and search and try to find a station that had air, and you found a station that had air only to realize that there was a sign that said, Yeah! That's just irritating, to say the least. So why do we say out of order? You ever wonder things like that? So you're not old enough yet. When you get old, you worry. You just, these things that we say, you think, where did, you, where did we come up with that? So I actually Googled it, and it turns out that the phrase out of order comes from the House of Parliament, where there was a prearranged list. There was an order to which a member of Parliament could actually speak. However, should one of those members of parliament, you know, not be able to control themselves, and maybe there was an issue that uh, they just couldn't help it, but they started to speak up. If they spoke up out of order, they were, yeah. And so that's where we got the phrase, believe it or not. Somehow it's kind of, you know, just filtered down through the years to us to describe, you know, a vending machine or a water fountain or, or whatever it is. That's not working. We just say it's out of order. But being in order, it's actually a bigger deal than you might think. There's actually an order to the universe. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that in everything, there is a season, a time, and a purpose for every purpose under heaven. There is a time to be born, and there's a time to die. 
you can't die until you've been born, right? There's an order to things. You don't die until, why are y'all looking at me? It's okay. You can't die until you've first been born. There's a, time to, there's a plant, time to plant, and there's a time to harvest. And you cannot harvest something that you never planted. Are y'all with me? I think it just makes common sense. So the Bible says that God put certain things into place. God created the world with order to it. There's a cause and effect to how you built the world. And in, and in our lives, in our lives, we could say that things are out of order when you don't do them in the right order. And that's exactly where some of you are this morning. You've come into this place this morning. The only reason that you're at church is, is because you feel like that things in your life are just out of order. Things aren't just making sense. Things are dead on the inside, and you're searching and you're looking for what, what could possibly be the answer to the struggles that I'm going through. And I'm telling you that the reason that your life is such a mess, even if you're a follower of Jesus, you can fall into this category. And that will happen when our lives are just out of order. When things aren't in the right order. And so Peter basically shows us that there are, there are certain things that if we do them in order, if we do these things in order, there's actually a predictable outcome. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, here's what he says. And it really, it's just common sense. He says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Doesn't that make sense? Like, I mean, who do you want? If, if, if you are blessing somebody, if you are being super kind to somebody, if you are giving to someone, the chances of that person wanting to do you harm, we would say, right, is probably pretty slim. Well, this is what one commentator, actually several commentators, called a truism or an axiom. In fact, one commentator said that it, this is an axiomatic law of the universe. So Peter's writing much like the author of Proverbs writes. And he says, there are some generalities that are going to be true in most situations because this is just how God built the world with order. For example, Proverbs says, raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Right? Karen and I are blessed in that we know there was a time for our children they took after somebody else. I don't even know who. Okay, they took after me. <laughs> and so there was a time when things might have been out of order in their lives, but both of, those, both of those beautiful children made their way back home. I don't mean our home. I, I mean, spiritually speaking, back to Jesus. Y'all with me? I mean, they left. They ain't coming back. Y'all, hello? Me and Mama got the house now. I'm just saying. These are truisms. Another truism of Scripture is that you honor the Lord with the first fruits of the land, and your barns will be full, <coughs> and your wine vats will overflow with new wine. It's a truism. It's a truism. And that's just how God built the world. And so Peter gets to verse 13. And he says, here's a truism. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And I would say that generally speaking, I think that's true, wouldn't you? I've said this for years. I've literally said this for years, that if we as a church, we should be so good to our community. 
We should be about the business of planning events that are free. And we have done these events, and I've literally had people from the community to come to those events, and they would look at me. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. They would look at me, and they would say, this is awesome. And you've obviously gone to a great length to make this the very best that it can be. And you guys have spent, obviously, you've spent a lot of money. And you've spent a lot of money on this community. And you've done, you've done this for us. You've opened it up. There's no cost to it. Why would you do such a thing? Because we just believe in being good to our community. So we've done those kind of things over the years. And it would kind of be a dream for me that, you know what, if things got really, really bad here, like they have in the past, I mean, if the things got really bad and we couldn't make a mortgage payment, we don't have a mortgage payment anymore, but if things got really, really bad, <laughs> did I let the cat out of the bag? I'm supposed to save that to another day or something? Don't, y'all don't tell anybody. Don't tell the first crowd, okay? Just don't, don't tell them. But my dream would always be that if we went through some very difficult times and the word got out to our community, that we would have treated them so well that there would be people, non-believers, non-Christians, that would say, you know what? Man, I don't believe what they believe. I don't believe in the God that they serve. But I tell you what, I believe in them. And I don't know that I'll ever give my life to the Jesus that they claim is, you know, risen from the dead and he's alive. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever buy into the Jesus story. But the one thing that I know is that this community is better with Springwell Church in it. And so whatever we have to do, because we've been so good to the community. Whatever that they would need to do to make sure that we stayed here, they would do. It's kind of a dream. That'd be a pipe dream. But I can dream, right? What if you're a business owner? Say that you're a business owner. And you're in this dog-eat-dog kind of business world. And you're building a phenomenal business. And you're employing lots of people. Maybe some who are followers of Jesus. But maybe there's another group that they're not followers of Jesus at all. But you, as a business owner, believe in caring for the people that work for you. And so, and so you do. You care for them, and you nurture them, and you pay them the best wage that you possibly can. And so you do everything. You give them time off. And, and so when there's those mid-year evaluations, or maybe the end-of-the-year evaluations like we do here, is that maybe rather than starting off with job performance, these, this owner, this business owner, actually looks at you and says, how's your family? How are your kids? How's the wife? How's the husband? How are things going? What can we do for you? If you were a business owner and that was your attitude, then one thing I can just about bet is that whether you are a, whether that person was a follower of Jesus or not, everybody would want to be on that guy's team. They would want to work for that man. Why? Because they're convinced that he has their best interest at heart. They'd want to be on his team. As Christian employees, what if? What if we were to go to work with the attitude that we're going to do the most phenomenal job that we possibly can? We're going to give more than eight hours labor for eight hours pay. What if we said, you know what? Whatever it takes, we want to be the best employees that this company has ever seen. What, what if? What if other employees saw what you brought to the job? And not that you were just doing it for your benefit, but what, what, if, what if those other employees said, you know what, 
when somebody's in a pinch, it is that it is that person that wants to come along beside them. How can I help you? I'll do my job, and can I do your job for you? Can I help you? How are things going at home? Maybe you're struggling right now. What can I do to make your job easier? Could you imagine that person at a place of business? And I'm telling you, you wouldn't care. It wouldn't matter if you were a Christian, whether you believed what they believed or not. I'll tell you what you would do. You'd say, man, I want to make sure that I'm working beside that person. How do I position myself to be near them? Because at the end of the month, we're always going to get a bonus. You know why? Because that person is going to make sure that we're all given 110%. I'm just saying. When I think about... Uh, this type of work ethic, I always think about Daniel, the Old Testament. And the Bible says that Daniel had a heart for God. He had a tremendous heart for God, and then he had a passion to follow God, but he served a, a very corrupt, a very, very evil king. And, and this very evil, very corrupt king um, kept promoting Daniel. And do you know why he kept promoting him? Because he was awesome. I mean, he was the employee that everybody would want to have. He was the person that everybody would want under him Daniel was the kind of guy who got things done. He got things done even for this very evil king, as long as it didn't compromise what he believed. And this king, he never believed what Daniel believed, but he wanted Daniel around. You know why? Because at the end of the day, people are pragmatic and we are selfishly motivated. Is that not true? Can I be honest? I can tell you that's me. I mean, I'd rather be around givers than takers, wouldn't you? Am I the only one? I mean, there's a giver and there's a taker. There's somebody that says, man, what can I do for you? How can I help you? If there's somebody that's always encouraging you, if there's somebody that's always lifting you up, would you rather be around that person or would you rather be around the person that's constantly cutting you down, that you never feel like you measure up, that they feel like that they're better than you, they lord over you, they take from you and never give to you, who would you want to be around? There you go. And I think that we all do. But somebody out there is probably thinking, well, that sounds awesome. Man, this is great Sunday morning material, you know. Woo! Amen! Preach it, brother. But that's not, the, that's not the real world that we live in, right? The real world that I live in is a, is a cutthroat kind of world. It, it's the kind that, that the more I give, the more they take. You know how many times I hear people say that over the years? I mean, like, I, if, I give, if I give them eight hours, they want nine hours. In fact, they want that last hour for free. Hello? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you got to stay till the job gets done no matter how much I give. In fact, there was that person at work, and I partnered with that person. And I'm telling you what, I did, you know, most of the work. And when they were slacking off, I was still on the job. When they were laid out sick, I was still on the job. And they got the raise, and I didn't. They got their promotion, and I didn't. They stabbed me in the back. Listen, I totally get that. But let me remind you who Peter's writing to, because that is crucial. See, sometimes when you read Scripture, it is so crucial that you understand the context that it was written in. And so Peter's writing to a group of people, literally Christians, who were being, who were being killed. They, they were being um, 
They were being abused. They were being punished. They were not just being made fun of. It wasn't just, they weren't just going to work and people were saying, oh, so you're one of the followers of the way. Ha, ha, ha. You're just a loser Christian. It wasn't that at all. These people were literally being burned at the stake. That's who Peter's writing to. And Peter knows that things aren't going well for these guys, so he says in verse 14, I love this. You just got to love the Bible. And so I wonder, you know, Peter's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's where these words are coming from. And he says, but even if you should suffer, hello, does this sound a little bit like a preacher to you? Just a little bit. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. But even if you should suffer for what's right, here's watch, listen to what he says. You are still blessed. Even in the middle, even if, even if in the middle of your doing good, people are still screwing you over. If even in the middle of your doing good, people are still being hostile and they're being mean-spirited, and even if everything feels loss, here's the one thing that these people cannot do to you. They cannot take your blessing away from you. And some of you probably want to argue right now, right? Well, I beg to differ. They got mine. So what does Peter mean? What's he talking about right here? How, why is it that this blessing that he's referring to cannot be stolen, cannot be taken? Because it is put in a place, it's not stored here on earth, but it's stored in a place where thieves can't break in and steal. Y'all with me? The blessings that we have, and we focus here on earth. I get that because this is all we know, right? Y'all with me? I mean, this is all we know. Anybody want to die today? If you are, please see us after the service. We need to counsel with you. I mean, we're all living, you know, we want to live for this world, right? This is all we know. But here's what Peter's saying. He said, here's what you don't know. You, you have blessings that are being stored from you in heaven, and it's not because of your good works. It's all because of the blood of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. This is what you're qualified for, the value. People can't take your value away from you. They can only take your value away from you if you allow them to. You know why? Because your value is placed, it is based on the fact that Jesus gave his life for you. For what purpose? So you could do all his work for him. Right? I was kind of raised that way. So you're saved, and now you're going to go out and do all these good works. And so I've known people that just, you know, busted their rear ends their whole lives trying to do good works, trying to do good works, trying to do good works, only to realize that, you know what, God doesn't need us. Are y'all with me? He wants us. What are you going to do for God that God can't do for himself and do it ten times better? Really? Hello, y'all out there? Have you, seen, have you ever seen a sunrise? Oh, my gosh. Have you ever seen the sunrise come up over the ocean? It'll take your breath. Have you, ever, have you ever seen the sunrise over the ocean on a cloudy day? I have. And I have sat there. I've gone out to see the, the sunrise, and I have to admit, I walked out a little bit discouraged, a little bit down. I've looked. I said, well, there's clouds in the sky. I can't see any stars. It's going to be kind of a bummer, you know, sunrise kind of day. And then suddenly the sun starts to come up, and I go, oh, 
Only my God can do that. The colors that you see, somehow these brilliant colors, the way that the the rays are shining through those clouds, it's absolutely amazing. God doesn't need us. He wants us. Your value is is based on the fact that he doesn't need you. He wants you. I've been saying this for years. God's crazy about you. Do you hear me? I don't care what they told you at work. I don't care what they tell you at school. I don't care what maybe some of your family have told you. Your value is based on the fact that God loved you so much that he sent his only son. Your value is is based on the fact that Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to go through the, the hideous death of the cross that he would allow to be himself to be hung naked before the world and nails driven through his body and into a cross. And as he's hanging on the cross, he says, I'm doing this because my daddy and I just want to be in a relationship with you. And there's nothing that you have to bring to the table but you. And then he says, he says, do not fear. That's, that's a little strange to me. Don't, don't fear their threats. And don't, don't, be, don't be frightened. Now, doesn't that sound just a little odd to you? Again, if you know the context. And so some of these guys, maybe this is being read in a church, and this is Peter's letter to the churches. And so, and so maybe there's somebody that would raise their hand and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, hold on just a second. I mean, there were soldiers that were coming to my house, drug my husband out. Just because we're followers of Jesus and they burned him in a garden just alive. They they didn't kill him and set him on fire. They set him on fire alive. What what do you mean? I'm afraid they're going to come back and get me. He says, don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. I so used to struggle with fear. And uh, maybe the reason I struggled with fear is because I was afraid to tell anybody that I was afraid. I was afraid to tell anybody that I was, you can't, I don't even know what that means. Other than I was a big old boy, you know. And so I had kind of a reputation back in the day, believe it or not. And that reputation was one of, um, I've tried to think of a way, better way to put this. I, I was a fighter, okay. That was my thing. I thought it was a call there for a while. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And it was tough for me to say, I'm afraid I'm scared. I'll tell you what did it for me. It was, believe it or not, it was focusing on one of the old hymns of the church, Amazing Grace. Any of y'all ever heard Amazing Grace? I know that probably if you're a follower of Jesus or not, you've probably heard Amazing Grace. And the lyrics say that grace will teach your hearts to fear. Well, that is to fear God, to respect God, to be in a, to be in a reverent, awesome place that you look at God and you recognize who he is and you see yourself for who you are. But it also says this, it is also that very same grace that will relieve me of my fears. Oh, come on now. Anybody? Do you know what I'm talking about? To be in situations that should scare you to death and to be able to say, what are you going to do to me? What can you possibly do to me? God is with me, and if he's with me, then that's all I need. And it doesn't matter how the situation turns out. He's enough. 
when you get it, if you can ever get it, if that can ever click, if you can understand your value before a holy God is not based on Instagram followers or tweet whatever them things are. It's not based on any of that stuff. Likes on Facebook. I got that one right, didn't I? It's not based on that. And how is that possible? Somebody asked me earlier, how is that possible? It's only possible when you put things in order. It's only possible when, when God becomes your priority. It's, it's only possible when you decide that you're going to do more than just look at the Bible, but you're actually going to pick it up and you're going to study it and you're going to read it and you're going to say, you know what, God, there are certain things that you've put here and I'm going to do my best to follow your will. I want to get my life in order. I love how the uh, Amplified Translation puts verse 14. It says this, but even if you should suffer. I'd, I'd still smile every time I read that. I've been reading it for I don't even know how long. I mean, a very, very, very long time. But even if you should suffer, and I'm thinking, well, some of them are suffering. And some of them that read this had to say, well, I didn't, but I had a friend. I had a cousin, my husband, my wife. I mean, boy, you mean, but even if, some are. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, though it's not, though it's not certain that you will, I just I like that. I think it's awesome. Though it's not certain that you will, you are still blessed. <laughs> and then really what they do in this amplified version is they give you a definition, really, for, for being blessed. It says happy, to be admired and favored by God. Do not be afraid of their intimidating threats, nor troubled or disturbed by their opposition. I love it. He said, even if you should suffer, even if you should it's not certain that you will. And so what he's saying, he said, stop worrying about things that may never happen. And I'm going to, I've actually been studying up on worry. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to do a message like, I'm not even sure, I think it's May. Might be the first of May, could be the end of April. I don't, I don't know, but sometime around in there. I'm going to talk about worry. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about anxiety, all that stuff. We, we're going to talk about every bit of it. And here's what I learned about worry, that probably like 90 Five, 98, 99%. I'm just making it up now. A lot of the time that we worry, those things never happen. He said, don't, don't worry. And then did you catch it? He said, but even if you should suffer, even if you should for the sake of righteousness, though it's not certain that you will, he says, you are still blessed. I love the definition of that word. It's a Greek word. They're going to put it up there because I can't say it. Um, I tried to say something last week. Y'all weren't impressed at all. Hurt my feelings. I ain't trying no more. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So here's what the word means. It means, it means receiving God's favor. Oh, that's pretty awesome. How can you receive God's favor? I, because of the blood of Jesus. That's how. Fortunate, good, in a position of favor, happy. Feelings associated with receiving God's favor. Blessed. 
And that's how, that's how we need to see ourselves, that I'm, that I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. And because I am blessed and because I'm highly favored, then, then I can be filled with, I changed the word, not happy, but then I can be filled with joy. Why is that true? Because I know that the God, the creator of the universe, is crazy about me. And what else matters at the end of the day? And I love it that when I understand this truth, is that it changes how I feel. And it has absolutely nothing to do with what's in your bank account. It's about your account in heaven that's been filled because of the blood of Jesus. When I think about, uh, when I think about those that struggle, you know, we often look at people in the Bible and we, we call them our heroes, but if you look at their lives, if you're careful to look at their lives, sometimes we just see the highlight reel at the end. Sometimes we don't process what they went through before they got to that place. One of those people for me is in Joseph in, in the Old Testament. And uh, Genesis 50, um, I just want you to know, he's, he's been betrayed by his brothers. Y'all remember, you know, he was sold to his brothers. His brother said, you're just a goody two-shoes, a little smart aleck, and you had these dreams that you're going to be over us. We'll show you a dream. And so they sold him into slavery. And um, it's family drama. Some of you can relate to family drama, I'm sure. And so uh, maybe you're like Joseph, you know what, you've been betrayed by your family. Or maybe like Jesus, and your family just doesn't believe in you. You know, Jesus had family that did not believe in him. It's believed that James... The James, that, that, that is his stepbrother, that actually never gave his life to Jesus till after the resurrection. Makes sense to me, right? You know, can you imagine James saying, well, shoot, I guess he is the Savior of the world. <laughs> Dang. Anyway. But Joseph never got bitter. He never got bitter. He never allowed there to be this vindictive spirit about him that could have grown over years and years and years of reflecting on what his brothers did to him. He never said, you just wait. Because God gave me a vision. He gave me a dream. And one of these days, I'm going to lord over y'all. I'm going to be your boss. You're going to come to me, and I'm going to squash you like a grape. I'm going to sell y'all into slavery. He never had that attitude. In fact, this is what he said, verse 20. Of Genesis 50. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Hang on, this is good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Let me read this to you in the New King James. I don't do this a lot, but the New King James just says it best for me. It says, but as, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What? Say it. In order. In order. <laughs> Joseph believed that even when he was sold by those sold to those slave traders, he said, somehow God's got a, got a plan. He's already showed me a vision. He's already given me the future. It's not now, but I, somehow I'm going to believe that this is going to be a part of it. Even when he was being lied about by Potiphar's wife, and she said, he raped me, and all that was a lie, and he was thrown into prison. But somehow, through all of that, he was able to look back, and he said, you know what? God gave me a dream. He gave me a vision, and I'm going to hang on to that, and I'm not going to get bitter. And even when he was in prison, and he was forsaken, forgotten about by the, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, I just made that up, but y'all know what I'm talking about that have read the text. Y'all with me? 
He said, it, even though I'm forgotten, it doesn't matter. Because God never wastes a trial. There's always a purpose to the pain. On every dark day, you know what he believed? This is just a step. That's all it is. It's just a step. Today it looks bleak, but tomorrow could be, could change. Gosh, I remember. I remember. Mm. Years for some of the stuff that we went through here, I kept thinking tomorrow's got to be better. Tomorrow will be better. Just got to keep the faith. Got to keep on hanging in there, you know. Got to keep believing. Got to keep trusting. This is just... This is just a step. This ain't the end of my story. Order is everything. Some of you are going through some stuff right now. Life is hard. There are circumstances that are beyond your control. Don't forget that order orders everything. This is not the end of the story. This is just one chapter in the book. This is just one line of a poem. Remember, it ain't over till it's over. And then with Jesus, when everybody else thinks that you're done, he'll speak resurrection. Jesus can bring dead things back to life. Let's sing that song again. Stand with us. No longer I but Christ in me, for I've been born again. My heart is free, the hope of heaven before me, the grave behind, hallelujah, you've brought me back to life. I won't forget the moment. the grip of darkness into the light of grace just like Lazarus oh you've brought me back to life and where there was dead religion now there is living faith all of my hope and freedom are found in Jesus name just like Lazarus, oh, you brought me back to life. Come on, let's lift this up. No longer I who live, but Christ in me. For I've been born again. My heart is free. The hope of heaven before me. The grave. When something says I'm not worthy, I'll point to that empty grave. And just like Lazarus, oh, you brought me back to life. No longer I who live, but Christ in me. For I've been born again. My heart is free, the hope of heaven. 
to thank you for all that you've done for me. Jesus, to fully praise you, it will take all eternity, just like Lazarus. Oh, you brought me back to
what you think when you came in. Maybe you're a first-time visitor, and maybe you look up on this stage, and I don't know what your impression may be, that they're all superstars, and they're awesome. And, and you are pretty stinking awesome. That was a great job, Kim. You should just know that it might not be what you think. Uh, Chris got things out of order in his life and despaired even of life. And there's others. <laughs> can't tell you their stories. I don't have permission. But I can tell you that if you knew, if you knew what you would think is, oh my gosh, God is so good. His love is so incredible. And that there's nothing, not one single sin that His blood cannot cover. And that there would be times in their lives when they would tell you that they despaired, even of life, that things on the inside were dead. And really, through God's grace and with the help of love and family and community, community. Those lives were put back together. So maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And maybe somehow God has spoke to you this morning and maybe the message has been is, you know what, you got things out of order. You just have things out of order. As a follower of Jesus, you've, you've got things out of order. Other things become, they've taken a priority. Maybe it's work, maybe it's family, maybe, who knows. With all of the financial mess that our country's been through for the last few years, people are struggling to be able to make ends meet. And people are taking on second jobs and third jobs some to be able to make it. Maybe you walked in here this morning and you think, you know what, man, that describes me. I'm just, I'm just dead inside. Even as a follower of Jesus, how, how sad is it that we can allow ourselves to get there? And I've been there. So if God is, if He spoke to you, if He's convicted you, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. He does it out of His great love for you because of the joy that He wants you to have. That he wants you to live a fulfilling life, fulfilling with meaning and purpose. And maybe right there, right now, you just want to stop and pray and say, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I just got things out of whack. And I need your forgiveness. And then listen, it's more than just a prayer, okay? It's more than a prayer. I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to go home and you got to look at a calendar. Sometimes it's that simple. Really, it really is. It's looking at a calendar saying, I got things out of whack. And other things have taken a priority. I've got to put, Lord, help me. I can only do it with, with your grace and your mercy that I can begin to put things back in order. Maybe here this morning you're not a follower of Jesus. And you know what? This makes perfect sense to you. It really describes exactly how you feel on the inside. Dead. And just so you know, that's exactly how the Bible describes it, that we were dead because of our trespasses and sins. And 
And so you've come in here this morning thinking, I don't even know what I know about the Jesus thing. I just know that I'm, I'm miserable. And what I want you to know, and I hope you've heard it this morning, is that God is absolutely crazy about you. And what He desires is not what you're going to give Him. You're going to impress Him with your stuff. <clears throat> you're not going to impress Him with your great works. <clears throat> he just wants you. What He wants is a relationship with you. The creator of this universe wants a relationship with you. I got the easiest job in the world, do I not? Like, if you're not a follower of Jesus, why in the world would you say no? I mean, I got, I got nothing. So if that's you and you're not a follower of Jesus and you like to be, every head is bowed and every eyes closed, no one's looking around, maybe you'd pray just a very, very simple prayer. And maybe that prayer would just be something like this. Heavenly Father, forgive me. I have been the boss of me for way too long. And honestly, I'm not a good boss. My life's a mess. And Jesus, I do believe absolutely that you're the Son of God. And I can't thank you enough for the kind of love that would put you on a cross. And the kind of love that it had to take you to stay there. And to give your life, willingly give your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And so I accept that. And I believe you're alive. You were raised on that third day, and I, I know that you're alive, and I'm just asking you to forgive me. And to the best of my ability, I'm surrendering. I'm fully surrendering my life to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for the power of your word. I have to be honest, sometimes your word can kind of get up in our cornflakes a little bit and you kind of stir us, Lord, with truth and truth sometimes that we don't want to hear. But thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to always tell us the truth. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible love that you have for us that, Lord, after all these years, I still just can't get over so I'm going to tell you that I love you and somehow it just doesn't seem to be enough from my perspective not in comparison to your love for me and all that you've done for me but how could I but love you it's in your sweet name that we pray Amen